Welcome to The Sexy Times. I'm your host, Melanie Chambers, a journalist, author, cyclist, and sexual human being. I talk to women redefining what it means to be a sexy, confident woman. Let's dig in. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Sexy Times. This week, the tables are being turned. I'm being interviewed. And there's a guy on the podcast. Reet, reet, reet. Hugh Elliott is a podcaster and an all-around creative guy. Here's what I mean. He created The First Next Step. It's an open mic night for employers and creative types to meet. He has a podcast, of course, called Dismissed. It's about getting fired. And now he's interviewing me. His conversational way is refreshing and comforting, and I found myself spilling the beans on a lot of things. Me? Overshare? Is there such a thing? Enjoy! Tell me a story. Okay, I'll tell you a story. Okay. So periodically, I send out pitches to magazines still because I'm a dinosaur when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm still writing journalism. Mm -hmm. But I saw the call out from the newspaper, The Guardian, today. And the call out was for story ideas with the subject heading, Why I Quit. I know. And it wasn't just why I quit a place. It could have been why I quit an idea. Just in general, yeah. And I thought to myself, because I haven't written for The Guardian ever, and I thought, oh, a new market would be great. And then I thought, oh, I know what I quit. I quit giving a shit talking about sex. (laughs) (laughs) So There you go. I pitched it. Sometimes I find the pitches that, you don't overthink and you just, you, you got the idea, you run with it, you send it, click. Those are the ones I think sometimes that are the most poignant because you're not grappling with what is the idea. Like the minute you think it, you're like, oh yeah, there's lots in there. And um, I love talking about sexuality for so many reasons, but uh, the story that I started with was when I was home, well, home, Nova Scotia, I guess it's not home, home anymore, but at my father's house, I was having a conversation that turned into an argument with my stepmother. Mm. And, you know, it escalated, it went on and on about the past and all this stuff and why we didn't get along. And then we were at one point in the car in the passenger seat and you have to know that this woman's very conservative. Okay. This is being generous and, and putting it mildly. And I told her, I said, you know, Paul and I go to a sex club. <laughs> I don't know why. I just wanted to like, just stop Freak her talking. Out. Freak her out. Yeah. And just shock and right. work. Because then she's like, well, what are we having for dinner tonight? Or something like that. Right. 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 But that wasn't, my goal wasn't necessarily to shock her and stop her from talking, but it's to, in all these cases when I'm talking, it was to uh, ignite something in people to talk about it. Like, I have no problem looking like the fool or I have no problem looking like the ass and oversharing 
if it's going to make someone think, if it's going to send someone away and go, oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. I, but that, that could not be the point at which you probably were an oversharer to begin with, but maybe not with your stepmother. Right. Right. So did you, do you feel that like all the way, not all the way through, but maybe at some point in your adulthood, you turned and thought, I don't, I'm not shy about this. Right. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. Do you recall, there may not be a specific event, but do you recall the the life you were living when you when you kind of felt more free to be open about your own sexuality you mean like what i felt like, like what the context like where you were what you were doing like where you were working were you with a partner were you single stuff like that uh well i guess it's been a, a series of little micro events i guess you know whether it's um in the writing of this book whether it was posing naked for the first time for an art class whether it was that word saying those words to my stepmother um uh let's see um actually going to the sex club which was Mm -hmm. a huge thing it was it was it was um you know, I, I did an interview a long time ago that I might resurrect for the podcast. It was an interview with the owner of Oasis Aqua Lounge in Toronto. Okay. And she shared her story with me. And uh, but she also said, you know, the 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 club is geared towards women so that, you know, um, there's nights where no men are allowed. <laughs> it's a space that women should feel comfortable single women to encourage to come. But she said, you know, in all cases, she's like, I don't really have to convince the men to come to this club. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But she said, almost every single woman that steps across this threshold has her story or her reasons for not coming. Oh, I should lose a little more weight or I, I'm not, you know, I'm not quite there or I've got this hang up. And she's like, Mm -hmm. It, it's changing. The younger women have, are, have, have fewer hangups, but she's like the older women, the middle-aged growing up in the eighties, we didn't have conversations about what, uh, you know, what traumatized us or uh, all the stigma. And so now you see these women that, that are breaking through and coming across the threshold to go to a club like this are realizing right. what's the big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what we're trying to get at is there was no, you know, uh, light bulb aha moment. It's just been a, a slow incremental acceptance in your own mind of of what you're willing to share, right? Well, that and deciding to write a memoir about this. About, <laughs> <laughs> right? Pretty hard not to share if you're writing a memoir about it. it so point of, point of order, uh, Your Honor. Um, is a memoir specifically you, you about you or is it like it's it's not a biography autobiographical memoir because because there could be memoirs that are based on somebody else about somebody that's a yeah so the distinction is a memoir is a slice of time 
So it's right. very okay. specific focus. It, autobiography is you're writing the beginning to the end. Okay. I was okay. born, blah, 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 and here goes. <laughs> and here goes. Um, well, when it comes down to the uh, memoir, when it comes down to the memoir, actually, when when did you start work on that? Oh, well, let's see. Everything began in bits and pieces 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but for also, because I also wasn't ready. I wasn't sure. ready to, um, I didn't have the confidence to write about it. I, and so I guess I hadn't really crossed that threshold where I don't give a shit anymore. Cause I, I mm-hmm. did, I, I was very, um, I was petrified about what was happening and I was still very much in it. I was, and, um, and so I did my MFA recently. I graduated in May from King's college mm-hmm. in an MFA master's of fine arts in creative nonfiction. And that program helps you write your book. I had the idea in mind of writing a memoir and all I knew at that point was that it was a it was going to start with a guy named Enrique. <laughs> and, Always, and I a, mean, when it doesn't, <laughs> the zipline instructor in, in Costa Rica, totally uh, Enrique, Enrique, oh, and yeah, I'm it over. was it was uh, having an affair with a, a tango instructor in Argentina. Oh yeah, well, yeah. So, One place or the other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, it's it, those Latin fellas. <laughs> <laughs> They're so hot. They're so hot. It's impossible. But, impossible. But Enrique said, uh, you have to have more passion in your life. And I knew he wasn't talking about more sex. Sure. And so then I'm like, well, what does that mean? And then, so I, I've been untangling what this means for a long time. And so I'm now at the point where, uh, every chapter is kind of dealing with a different theme about women's sexuality. Right. And uh, I know you're going to ask about the podcast because we're doing a podcast, but that's become, uh, it's feeding into my understanding of what happened to me, of what happened to, what happens to other women. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to these women, whether it's a gynecologist or a former sex trade worker or uh, anyone grappling with their their sexuality and uh, what that means. It's just, I'm having all these chats about stuff that I never had a chat with anyone about. And I, yeah. so yeah, it feeds into the, the podcast feeds into the book. Well, I mean, the, 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 how much of the conversations you're having have illuminated the fact that what you are dealing with may not necessarily be unique to you? Very much. Very much so. I mean, it's, uh, I think it was Emily Nagosi who writes Come As You Are about uh, female, like, well, just particularly sex and biology. But it's, uh, she describes it, I think, as um, we have all the same parts except that they're all configured differently, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, the more, the more that I read and the more that I talk to women about it, 
yeah, it's it's not that different than what I grew up with. Um, you know, some I I feel like it's like this um kind of like an octagon of sorts, you know, on this side you've got the cultural stigma of being a sexual woman. On this side, you've got your own trauma, all the stuff that you grew up with and the messages that you heard from your parents. Then you got your relationship with your dad. Yes, daddy issues are real. <laughs> um, then you got your mom. Oh my God, that's that could be a whole book on itself, um, mm-hmm. which I considered at one point. Um, so, so there's all these forces, right? And we all have them. But which one is pushing more? Which one is influencing us more as we go along, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I, I wonder, um, you know, I, I used to I used to work at a, a store called Lovecraft, which was a, you know, a high-end or high-end sex shop in Yorkville. And one of the things that always struck me when I worked there was there'd always be a group of women. It wasn't always a set, but a group of women would come in on their lunch break from their offices because it was Bay and whatever. And they would look and they would laugh and they would hold up a toy and they would laugh and then they would all kind of leave. And then maybe about 10 minutes later, at least one of them would come back and buy something and shyly buy something. And the way I looked at it was your sexuality is your own and you can do whatever you want. You're not hurting anybody. Enjoy yourself. And so, but they'd always, you know, they put the vibe or whatever on the counter and I'd put a battery in it just to check it out, make sure it starts up and works. And cause you can't <clears throat> return a used toy. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> but you know, there was, it was always like that. And it, and it was, it was always one of those scenarios where, you know, our job was to make sure that whoever came in was comfortable. So if someone was making somebody else uncomfortable, we got that person out or separated them or whatever. But that always stuck with me, the the office ladies that would come in different groups various times and giggle and titter. And then one would come back every time, every time. It would be like their afternoon break. They'd come back an hour later or something and buy something. And, and I, I, I've confronted that particular part of people's shyness you know, many times over. So I, I totally get it. And it, it's, it's such an interesting thing when you finally decide you don't care what other people's opinions are. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah. And I, I would like to say you obviously care what other people's opinions are, but you don't care to suppress your opinion for that. And I think that that's yeah. probably the best part is realizing that their opinion is theirs and it it will affect you in some way, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it is your life you're living and yeah. they can only have so much pull over it. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you worked in a sex shop. <laughs> well, my formative, you know, graduating high school, I, I, I took a year off and then I moved to Toronto and, and, and Toronto and, and worked at Lovecraft and then also worked at Curry's Art Store, which was 95% gay like you know my manager was gay my assistant manager was gay my Sunday manager was a lesbian and mm-hmm. all I knew was gays and people having sex so for yeah. a couple of years like that's all I really understood and it was a great thing for a you know football playing guy from Ottawa to come and be <laughs> you know it's like learning Spanish you live in the culture you understand the culture better I really understood people and and, and yeah. how they got along after that. So it, it made me it made me far better an ally. 
yeah and 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 better better at accepting things so yeah i don't know anyways um i I think it's important to share that because i i I always feel like our stories are never complete so like when, when you talk about writing a memoir and you talk about each chapter being a certain point of point of that journey that journey is not over right like and i think have you come across anything while you've been writing where your your perspective that you thought was sort of cemented in one direction has shifted in a it doesn't even need to be very big but like yeah. a small shift where you go yeah i think i do like this or i think i i think i do want to share this part of it and has that happened to you in the, oh. in the course of the past year I have 10 years, of <laughs> 10 years. I am writing my bi- biography. Yeah, you're, you're I was born memory. on. Um, <laughs> no. Oh, absolutely. Like, here's a good point. I, I've been writing a chapter in the last uh, editing, a chapter about women and my relationship mm. to women. Uh, you know, growing up being bullied because I dressed differently. Uh, I was kind of loud. I was flirtatious even back then. So, mm-hmm. um, and then even today I was writing a part and I was realizing, um, you know, I, I was very upset and, and angry at those women and, and I hated groups of women because I felt like they were always judging me. Mm. And then I realized, you know, um, I took that anger and then I just, you know, became promiscuous and uh, did whatever the hell I wanted. I thought there's no rules. And then today I'm realizing as well, like I kind of use that to absolve myself of some bad behavior in my twenties, meaning Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't the best friend either, you know? Right. And that's the other thing about writing a memoir is that, um, as you said, when you, when you come across your behaviors, when you start to analyze them and you realize, oh, God, that's so icky what I did. <laughs> so icky. Like, I'm so sorry. It's always evolving, you know? Like, I... I constantly i feel like a psychologist you know i'm just like sure what does that mean you, can, Why, why do I- you know you can't you can't possibly have all of the answers you know and i think that i think it's a it's a mistake if you were to enter into it saying i i know everything about myself yeah. right now like like i would think that every chapter where you're going i'm going to start this chapter and you whatever your synopsis was when you started your chapter tracker or whatever it is yeah. um you went, oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be great. I know exactly how this pans out. And yeah. then like, after you start writing, you're like, whoa, I, I totally didn't know how this was going. And it's my life I'm talking about. Like that must be, it must be sort of fun because it is on one hand, it is quite therapeutic, right? Yeah. You have to analyze not just the actions, but the why of the actions. And is that, has that been difficult as, as a process for you? Oh, absolutely. This time last year, I was frozen by some of the stuff that I was writing. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I just seized up. I, and especially, I mean, my mom died six years ago, and there's a huge chunk, uh, actually, an entire chapter about the divorce of my parents. Right. And um, 
you know, luckily before she died, we we had the the conversation. We had the we had it out and we resolved some stuff and I'm so grateful that that happened. Had it not, I might be writing a different book. I Sure. Right? Um so uh and now a year later from feeling frozen, um, I'm going through it and I'm, I'm like, yeah, this happened. I did this. Um, but like I said, like, and, and like you said a moment ago, you're constantly reevaluating, you know, you have a conversation with your partner and you snap at them. And then two seconds later, you're like, sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, a person who has spent some time thinking about their own actions is able to do that. I have the, the number of scenarios where the conversations that I have with my partner may not go how either of us want. And it seems stressed. We'll say, Oh, there are these factors that involve, you know, we don't yell at each other, right? It's not a fight fight. It's yeah. never, but if you, when you start to bicker and you realize where you are in it, you just go, Whoa, okay, hold on a minute. And it's nice to be able to identify those things. And and part of that becomes understanding yourself. And was it problematic in the beginning to need to admit to yourself some of the flaws that you're eventually going to need to share in that memoir? Was that hard for you in the beginning? That was a huge, yeah, because I don't come across as... Uh, um well, I come across as many things, slutty, for sure, um, aimless, um, nomadic, uh, reckless, too free-spirited. Um, mm -hmm. And then, <clears throat> but that's what I was working with at the time, you know? Um, and it's funny, uh, it reminds me of the conversation that I did end up having with my mom, you know? She asked me at one point why I didn't come to visit her more when she was living in London. I was in Toronto and I, I was incredulous. I was like, I, in my head, I was like, are you really telling me you have no idea? <laughs> and so I blurted out, maybe it was him. And I, what I meant was maybe it was my stepdad. Right. And she went white mm -hmm. and she's, her lip started quivering and she, she, she started bawling and she's like, I did the best I could. And then I, right. and then I said, of course, of course, you know? And so, I mean, that's why it's so nice being 50 because I'm okay with a lot of stuff now. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm okay with um, being a shitty person for a while because I learned from it. You know, if I was yeah. continually, doing these things, then I, yeah, I'd be in a, a circular turmoil of, of shit and I don't want to be that person anymore. But, you know, the, 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 uh, sorry to cut you off. Oh, I think about the whole, the, the phrase hurt people, hurt people. And it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing when you're watching societally right now, where people are just being terrible to each other. Oh. And, and then you watch other people who desperately want, to shed some light on it to say, Hey, do you really feel this way? Like, is this a thing that you actually feel or are you angry about something else? And you never can, you can never get somebody that's mm -hmm. 
all up in their feels to analyze themselves in that moment. And they certainly wouldn't see themselves as the fault in that. And I, I think it's, it's, I agree about being 50 and, and, and taking that, being able to swallow that pill a little more easily and, and to say like, look, I don't know. You know, I, I feel like I've been on the knife's edge of death my entire life, but <laughs> I, I find now where I'm like, I'm just way more accepting of it and say like, I'm never going to live falsely anymore. So, so that from now on, if I feel I owe someone an apology, they get that apology. And if I don't, then I don't. And it like, Ask, tell me why you think I should apologize. And if you can give me a, a reason, then I will 100% apologize. But I have no problem with it, you know, like. Yeah. And and uh, I talk a lot about that in the um, this this women's chapter, you know, about mm. being bullied. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I um, I think I told you about a story where I actually reached out to one of the bullies from grade 10. That's right. Yeah. And asked yeah. her, you know, and then lo and behold, found out, yep, she had her own shit to deal with. You know, she was being yeah. molested. Yeah. And like, wow, wow. The minute you understand why someone's acting the way they are, the minute you can truly put yourself in their shoes, it's it blows your mind and it it mm-hmm. takes down the walls. Right. So I loved what you said about um you know that this culture of anger and hate this is that we're all dealing with these things yeah and the minute we can go oh wait yeah that makes sense and so you know having that conversation with her um and then there was another story where um i was mountain biking uh, on a my first mountain bike race ever and i was trash talked by um one of the other ladies. And I'm like, what the fuck? I thought this was supposed to be all supportive. Yeah. And, and women propping up one another. Well, lo and behold, I wrote a blog poster about it being trash talked. And I think she found it. She found the story. Um, mm-hmm. And she apologized. Oh, amazing. And years later we became friends. Right. She is like, she's going to my wedding. Like, right. I love her dearly. But the, the trash talking has increased tenfold, but it is far friendlier <laughs> trash talk, right? Like that's the, when you're on their trails and you're like, come on. <laughs> is that all you've uh, got? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we we obviously ride our friends the hardest, but it's, you know, it's such an interesting thing. And you, you mentioned getting married. It, it's, um, and, and also your partner, you were saying you've, you've been to sex clubs and how has your partner accepted and been part of the journey? Was it, was it a willingness to just acquiesce or was it a full, full fledged, let's do this. Let's make it about us. And that's a partnership and let's make it right. Like the, the sexual journey, you mean like going to these clubs? Yeah. Well, um, absolutely. It's funny. The, at first I was like, Oh, I don't want to attribute or, and, you know, give him any kudos. That wouldn't be very feminism feminist of me, but he did. He, he, Paul was a huge factor in um, going along this journey with someone. Cause even when I started to say, Oh my God, I think I like this sexually. He, and I was, I was judging myself. He was like, Hey man, 
let your freak flag fly. Like, yeah. And, you know, he had approached um, other partners about going to the sex club and they, they weren't ready and for their own reasons said no. And right. so we were on the same page about let's try it. Right. Let's, let's see um, where this goes. And wow. And, you know, I keep, I always, always say about this book, it's not about the sex. It's about what the sex represents, which is mm-hmm. I'm adventurous and curious about all other things in my life. I want to try things. I want to open up my experiences. Why is sex any different? Right. And so going to these clubs, uh, became, it became this thing with us. Like it, like the, at first it was a secret, you know, like somebody would say mm. something at a dinner table and we'd like, we went to a sex club. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> and then once I started talking about it, I, oh, I couldn't stop talking about it. And, you know, right. Um, our closest friends, you know, everybody knows it now. And it, and it's, uh, it's this joke, you know, one, one of our best friends, he's like, yeah, I, I bet you guys just have spontaneous orgies the minute I leave the room. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, if you've left, who else is in the room is the question. It's <laughs> not an orgy, by the way. That's just having sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Unless there is a whole bunch of people. He leaves. Yeah. <laughs> you should get a tape deck or something like a sound thing that just sounds like a bunch of people having sex. He leaves the room, just pressing up against the door. Exactly. He's open, fling the door open like Inspector Clouseau or something. That cuts you. <laughs> Yeah, so it's um yeah, it's just it it just became a, a journey for us both and mm-hmm. from the very beginning and even with the book writing and you know, it's it's a lot uh it's a lot for a partner to take you really as you are. No, mm-hmm. like really as you are with all the sure. weirdness and um, so when we started, you know, going to these clubs, um, we were both admitting stuff to our the first time to ourselves about what we liked. And it was really the first time that I could say it and not kind of like put my hands in front of my eyes and wait for a response. And, yeah. I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared because I trusted him and he is so non-judgmental. He took me to my first goth bar because he right. liked going to a goth bar because he's like, I like the music and I don't own a black collar with pointy spikes, but I like going. Yes, but Valentine's Day is fast approaching, Mel. <laughs> so I think you know the answer to what do I get the man who has everything except that one thing. That one thing. Big. Yeah. Honestly, it's not hard to get. Um, That actually does bring me to another question i would imagine and forgive me if this is an assumption i would imagine your interest in sort of long-term relationships if you were sort of this freewheeling person nomadic and like to travel it was a little bit difficult to maintain long uh long not long distance but long-term relationships Did you find, I, I would, I have to imagine that since you have been spending this time with all this introspection and then finding your partner and 
showing a willingness to share and be fully honest with each other that that has led you to, I mean, I mean, you're getting married, like that had to have not been part of your plan ever. And then all of a sudden was like, yeah, maybe I would like to marry this person. Yeah, it was really never, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) never, never. Uh, And I say that because I, I really did have parents that had the worst divorce ever. One moved right. to St. John's, Newfoundland, and the other moved to Vancouver, and they never spoke. They would right. they would get on the phone and fight, but they never. So I just had this shitty uh, idea of marriage. Um, what was the question? The question was something about. <laughs> it was well. This is the problem: is I don't ask good questions, but it, or I don't frame them right. But I, I going from not being interested in having a long-term relationship to getting oh, married. Yes, 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 yes. Would you, would you say that that has to do with this introspection and, and self-analyzing and understanding your own sexuality and finding a partner who is willing to be welcoming of, of all of that and willing to share as, as you were willing to share? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, even things like when we first became a couple, I said, you know, I am nomadic. I am a travel writer. I'm going, I think it was maybe six months into our relationship when I had planned a six month trip to Peru. And I said, right. Bye-bye. Right. He came to visit, uh, you know, so he, he was definitely part of it, but he, from the get go, he understood. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a chapter called monogamish which is a phrase that uh, uh, podcaster Dan Savage coined, which is this idea that um, you can reinvent, I'm not talking polyamory, but um, that you can reinvent the rules of a marriage. And I think a lot of people are at the point where Paul and I were, where we were like, so you can go away for a couple of months. We can go to sex clubs together. We, what do we both need? Right. And, uh, and so when I realized that by getting married, I wasn't actually sacrificing or giving up part of myself anymore. I always kind of equated marriages like really, the the cliched ball and chain that I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be able to travel as much or that I couldn't flirt um, or I couldn't want somebody else. That's preposterous. Right. right. We're, we're animals. Of course we want other people. And to finally say that to someone else was so liberating. And so mm-hmm. when I asked him to marry me, um drunk and high on my 50th birthday um it seemed like the most natural thing in the world like <laughs> you know, when you're about to make the best decisions ever is <laughs> drunk and high you know it's when you're turning 50 it's so different than when you're turning 19 or 20 oh. when you're like what did you do at 19 it's like oh my god i was so drunk and high and i think i did that you know it's like yeah when you're 50 you're like i proposed to the man i love Okay, well, that's fine. But I was drunk and high. Eh, still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How drunk and high could you really have been? I mean. I wasn't out of control. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't streaking down the streets. Like, I'm fine. Pull it together. <laughs> Pull it together. Yeah. Um, so I was, well, that's I was so that's very cool. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was so but he was obviously ready for you, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it really is when you're learning from someone and it's just such a safe environment, uh, mm -hmm. it just seemed natural. And also, and I will, I always tell him this as well. His family is my family. Right. And, uh, that, that has been so cool, you know, even, um, and, and vice versa, right? Like, um, my sister lived with him for a while when she first moved to Toronto and I wasn't home, you know, that's a lot to ask of a partner. Hey, can my sister just move in with you? Right. So, um, for so many reasons, uh, I just, and, and him too, right? Like he's a quirky guy. He, yeah. he likes, uh, techno music like a lot. Goth. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> <laughs> totally and he's an engineer at the same time right so it's like, oh, yeah know. yeah so those engineers yeah i know so so yeah i feel like and even when we're uh you know planning this wedding it was funny um from all sides i was getting like oh so what does the dress look like and i'm like i the dress is not the most important part for me i mm -hmm. i actually I'm I'm going to look good. I'm going to look hot and all that stuff. But you know what? If we show up on bicycles going, I do, right? Like that's ours. Right. I, I want to, I want to make it mine. And I, and that's a kind of good segue to the, the book is like, I want to write this book and I want to write it because I want people to know that I have fought for my sexuality. I've fought mm -hmm. for the kind of life that I want to lead and the freedom and the flexibility of it. Um, I fought to be a writer. Um, and now I really, in my 50s, feel like I'm fighting for a late in life feminist kind of thing. I'm fighting mm -hmm. for women to say whatever and do whatever um, makes them feel good and happy and fulfilled and strong and don't ever feel like that someone else is uh, going to yuck your yum. You know, that's right. Yeah. The, the woman from Oasis was like, don't ever let anyone yuck your yum. Whatever your yum is, go for it. Yeah. Well, you're eight episodes into your podcast and every one of those episodes are very specific in a journey in a, in a person's journey in, in terms of like accepting and understanding their own sexuality. When you are preparing for, cause you are a journalist first and foremost, or not first and foremost, but that's your profession. Yep. You're a writer. And, um, <clears throat> Have you found the organic nature of having a spoken interview versus the that far less? Because I'm always I, I, my whole thing is about the organic nature of a yeah. conversation. Yeah. And so, have you? Do you feel that you've strayed a little bit from that sort of templated journalistic style into more of a let's be comfortable and let's have a conversation, or do you? Or do you find you're still kind of? bringing that journalistic mm. sense sensibility to the podcast. It depends on who I'm interviewing. For example, the last interview I did, 
Dr. Kim Alexander, a gynecologist obstetrician, I had to make sure that I was asking some very pointed questions. Right. Uh, another time I was interviewing uh, someone, a dating coach, where I knew she had certain messages that she wanted me to touch on. Mm-hmm. Then, so that felt a little bit more scripted. Whereas um, I interviewed uh, a 30-year-old woman who got into boudoir photography right. for other women. And that was more organic because... Uh, yeah, it wasn't, I, I wasn't trying to target certain messages, if that makes sense. I want to. No, it, it makes yeah. all the sense in the world. It yeah. really does. I mean, I, I asked because it's, we get, because in preparing for this, you asked for questions I might ask. And I think I had, I had three. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, we're going to talk for an hour and a half. Here's three questions. I think that's because I never, ever. Yeah. I accidentally and not accidentally, I intentionally never prepare. And one of the reasons is that I feel I'm far better in in an organic uh, Mm. scenario, but it was good to go through that process and and say like, well, these are what I would ask mostly because I am a podcaster, not a journalist. You know, the, how has doing a podcast affected your journalism? And that, you know, because those two things, can be obviously they can be the same thing yeah but when you're dealing with something that is so specifically personal yeah and you're asking questions of people that are specifically personal not necessarily every episode of your podcast is like that but in in a lot of cases you're asking very very personal questions to pull that journalistic veil back and be a person speaking to a person have you has that been enjoyable or has it been sort of a bit more difficult or do you love it? Oh, I love it. I love it because every time I'm surprised, you know, um, I'm surprised um, because like we said at the beginning, they're telling me similar stories, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're telling me stories of, you know, when I revealed to them, my mom used to call my vagina a biscuit. Oh, mine, mine called it a little, uh, a little flower. And it's like, right. And then there's also questions where, uh, yeah, you do get to play a little bit of the psychologist with burning questions, like the woman that Lana Hall, who decided to um, to be uh, to work in the massage parlor industry for five years in her early twenties. Right. Yeah. The first question on my mind was, "What happened to you? What you know?" I automatically go to what was the damage? And so then mm. when I, when I say that, then I'm like, okay, what are my thoughts on sex work? Yeah. You know? So then again, like these things that come out, your, your upbringing about, you know, sex trade working and then, um, you know, so, so it, it's, um, is this answering your question? It's, 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 it just, <laughs> it keeps unraveling. Uh, you know, I, I, being the journalist and being the personal writer, I love all aspects of it. I love finding out why someone does something right. 
Mm-hmm. It's something I wouldn't have done, but why did you do it? Right. I like well, the deeply personal questions because when they are the honest or maybe, maybe they don't tell me yet. Cause I don't think Lana didn't answer that question. Mm-hmm. She, well, I mean, does she it see it? I think the thing is, is that some things in a lot of cases, unless there's something specific, some people have just made a choice. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's damage associated with it. Right. So right. I could see, I could see a pushback on that. And, and, and a lot of cases, and, and the reason I prefer the approach of a, a conversation over preparation is that preparation inserts my own biases into my questions and, and, and specifically that reaction to, well, what was the damage that led yeah. you to this? Yeah. And some people, there there may not be the kind of damage you you think and it, it may be something like from your point of view based off of your experience yeah it's nothing but right. to them it was a problem and or 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 was just a thing and they don't they don't think of it as damage and it's i think it's very difficult to pull our, ourselves out of the conversation and it's even more difficult when we when we prepare because our own biases tend to interject into the yeah. way we ask questions or what questions we will ask most specifically. And then this is where I, I'm curious about mm-hmm. most specifically in regards to filling a gap in, in your, the story you want to tell overall in your book. So when you're writing a book and it's a memoir about not just female sexuality, but your feminine sexuality and acceptance and learning and things like that, how much of it, when you're actually thinking about interviewing someone is you going, well, it needs to fit this narrative because, and and do you find yourself fighting the need to fit a narrative when it may not be going the direction you think, or are you like, are you just excited about it? Not going the direction and it helps to frame your narrative in a different way. Oh, that's a great question. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. In that, um, you know, writing the book, and, and it's funny, Lana and I, uh, Lana and I have talked about it a lot, is that there's, with writing a book, people like to put a linear narrative on things. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to begin the beginning, the middle, and the end. And like you said, I'm still on the journey. There really, mm-hmm. there really isn't any, um, this is it, this is the end. And when I go in, sometimes, yeah, asking these questions, wanting certain answers, I'm like, yeah, especially of her, you know, there might not be the answer that I want or that that it's it's a non-issue. Yeah. Because it's, again, like you said, it's my little, my brain imposing, well, if if I was doing this, this is how I would react. And, and then so you must be similar. Sure. And I think if I've learned anything, I, there is no one cookie cutter, you know, this, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, even now I have a 30 year old sister who says, well, there's, there's the fan only pages and they're controlling the narrative and they're making lots of money. And they're, so then I'm only fans. <laughs> I'm 50. I'm 50. I know. I know. I can kick. I can stretch and I can kick. Like the fan only pages. That was amazing. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm I don't sorry even know. I don't even know the right terminology. Such a, no. such a moment. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you love that, eh? You can take. I that. did. I did. I, re- I really did. It was. It's just funny because because of the way social media works right now is like if you end up uh, with on the explore feed my explore feed is a lot of electronics and for some reason i've really glommed on to people working out i'm like i gotta get back to the gym and so i'm my inspiration is people working out but it's so funny whenever it's a fitness influencer who then talks about whatever and then the comment will be oh only fans detected <laughs> and you realize that oh well they're doing this which is phenomenal to me like because if you can control that for yourself and you say well this is how i'm going to make money and i can hey man knock yourself out like yeah. i love that there's a destigmatization of yeah. sex work regardless of whether or not you want to call it sex work only fans is sex work but it's it's good that we are able to have destigmatized it to the point that we don't call it or that we don't consider it that and yeah. i i'm like hey man you know i got all the power to you so like Pornhub is the most it's it's like on one of the top five search terms sure on the planet on the planet so like yeah people are looking for fulfillment they're looking for companionship they're looking for whatever you want the proof is in the pudding and that's the other part of of actually um doing some of the interviews too is i'm fascinated by things like the biology of our body that are that want certain things or right um you know um all of those things yeah yeah do you think this is going to be a very obviously should be a, a short answer but i i suspect it may not do you feel that the journey of the book and the journey of the podcast will become separate where the book is going to be finished submitted published uh become a new york times bestseller obviously right. and then and then the mm-hmm. podcast can continue as the narrative of your ongoing journey of uh, sexuality. Yeah, they are, you know, at, at first um, I just started it because I just, uh, I did, I wanted to have a conversation outside of the book. Um, I think my first one was talking about virginity with um, a girlfriend and right from the get-go that in that conversation informed sort of a bit of the, the 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 premise of the book which was her experience about losing her virginity she was with someone she loved it was all beautiful and wonderful and planned mm-hmm. um and mine was in a waterbed uh like one afternoon very lackluster didn't give a shit about it i felt like it was like yeah, whatever. Um, so from that interview and then subsequent interviews, it's just been like, oh, right. Again, that's someone else's story. Mm-hmm. This is my story. Um, you know, and, and just, I just love that. Um, I, it, it's, it's like a, a little reminder. It's like a little thorn in the side to keep saying, well, Melanie, just because you're uh, you're writing about this doesn't mean someone's going to go out and and do it, or someone's someone's experience is going to be yours. Like, um, you know, the 
the editors that I've talked to about the book are always hammering home the theme of universality. Like, yeah, you know, it has to be a universal. And so talking to these women, it's, it's just keeps reminding me that you got, keep it real, keep it real, you know, um, keep coming back to this idea that as long as you're honest about it and, uh, then 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 women will see it will resonate with people because it's uh so yeah they they've worked together and and i feel like the podcast is something that i i started out cuz I, I actually loved radio back in the day mm-hmm. i had a radio show called Mushamel and it was just it's like air supply Krista Berg, you know all the ballads and i loved um I love talking about things because sometimes as I talk about things, I'm figuring them out as I say them. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. And that's, I feel like that's a very female characteristic. Um, oh yes. That's a lady thing. That's not a man thing. <laughs> I mean, that's how I work. This is what I mean. Like, well, I'm obviously in touch with my feminine side. So I, uh, you know, the way I, the way I tend to work is I talk through until I got what I want out of it. And then I, blurred out the thing that I figured out but yeah. you know because you know as as you're talking as you're working through this I, I think about the fact that the podcast has this ability to reach out to endless people yeah. I mean there's something great about podcasting and that someone's going to discover your podcast as long as it's still up we'll discover it five years from now and let's pretend you're still doing episodes. It would be amazing, by the way, if you were still doing episodes. But they discover your podcast and they just stumble upon one episode at random. And it's, you know, the virginity. It's the first one. It's the Virginia one. And you're like, you get a message from someone going, I just went through something and I want to share with you. Like those kind of, those little messages are what makes, you know, being a broadcaster in whatever form yeah. you take so worthwhile and getting that kind of feedback like since you have started mm-hmm. have you been getting feedback like not just from people you know but also from like the general public in any way well not a lot um and i guess that in some ways speaks also to i'm not good at marketing uh so i feel like there's channels and there's things that i could be doing to spread the word more I have gotten a couple emails. Um, one woman was very happy that uh, I talked about menopause. And that is great because especially menopause, you know, back in the six, 60s was called the change. Yeah. You know, that it was this thing that women would have to endure and suffer in silence. But as someone that's going through it, you know, it's, it's a whole bag of stuff. It's not sleeping. It's hormone changes of anger and fits of tears. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, like no one told me it was like going to be like this. So yeah, she, she's like, wow, it's so good to hear that so-and-so tried this or so. And, you know, the woman that I spoke to, we specifically talked about how she lost her libido. And when she right. lost her libido, she had gained some weight. She didn't feel sexy. She stopped going to dances, which was something that she loved to do. 
and she sequestered herself in her apartment. That's awful. And, you know, and then she goes to a doctor and the doctor's like, well, you know, it could be five to 10 years. And, and she's like, what? So so I'm going (laughs) to, and he said, it's no, so nonchalantly like, oh, you, you'll only have to stay in your pajamas for another five years, lady. What's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? And like, I'm sorry. What? I, I just want to kick you in the balls right now. Are you serious? Like, yeah, that's not fun, by the way. Just oh. a, that's an, an idle threat. <laughs> well, if someone says that to you, like they should be. They deserve it. That's it's it, you know, but that's that is the that's the whole. It's it's always like um, whenever you hear a man say, uh, "Childbirth isn't that bad," right? And, and you're like, "I've got, I once got a splinter," <laughs> you know. And, and it, it's always like, "Dude, I've witnessed childbirth." This and it's not. I would never. I don't think there's a single person in the world who's stronger than a, a woman. And and you know they're pushing something through a hole that's not what yeah. it's supposed to be. And it, it's crazy town to me. And so it doesn't surprise me that a male doctor would say it's just going to be five. You just live with it. I mean, we we already put up with a lot of. You just need to live with that. But a a. a zero libido for five to 10 years is unconscionable doctoring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He should be reported. But however, then there's also, you know, um, a lot of the literature and research I've been reading also is that, you know what? There's people out there that don't uh, feel sexual, that they, they don't have a drive. Mm -hmm. And again, I cannot imagine in my world, please don't that ever let that happen to me. But that to me, that seems that there again, me imposing my stuff is that there's, there's something going on or that there's damage, but you know what? Maybe not. Physiology is, is an interesting thing and and everybody has their own levels of everything. And yeah. some people just aren't interested and it's the way it is. Yep. Well, I don't know this let's interject real quick so uh this is going to be you editing this out i think but do you do you do you want to touch on anything in i because i i wanted to hit the getting married thing um i think the whole focus combining with your podcast versus your book is okay um yeah i don't know yeah, yeah. Where do you where do you do you feel there's anything kind of lacking? Would you like me to hit something? Ask some questions. Uh, Not that I'm trying to end this. I just yeah, read yeah, yeah. We should have over an hour. So, um, I think there was one thing um that I didn't mention that I had here was um the podcast being sort of a warm up. It gets the juices flowing. Um, but I kind of touched on that. It triggers ideas that sort of feed the book. I kind of mentioned that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, there is something. Yeah, I do want to ask a question um, that that would be related to that specifically. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Let's let's get. Well, I think I got two more questions in me, and then okay. and then we'll move along. I'll just rub my chest here. I got some low, my low chest, my upper chest is here, and this is where my tummy is because <laughs> I had pasta earlier. You're moving. I was thinking about when when Libs and I started dating, and we were a little while into it, but. She said, I 
I was friendly to a server. My brother was in service for a long time. He was a bartender, waiter, and all this stuff. It was like 20 years of that. And and I would spend time with his coworkers. And, uh, and I always thought, and I, I think in general, like the nicer you treat someone who serves you, the better their day is. And because there's so many people t- treating people horribly all the time. Yep. And at one point I was kind to a server and Lib said, why are you always flirting with the waitresses? And I was like, I am not flirting with the waitresses. Not at all. Specifically not in front of you. That would be nuts. But why do you think me being friendly is me flirting? Well, you're smiling and you're laughing. And I'm like, I'm a funny guy. Yep. And I'm charming. That doesn't mean I'm flirting. There's like, when you said I'm I'm flirty, you know, oh, I like to flirt. I'm like, I don't realize 90% of the time that what I'm saying or doing can be construed as flirtation because I don't, that's not my intention. And so it was an interesting thing to come across with lips where, where she was like, you're flirting with that waiter waitress. And I'm like, that's no. fucking impossible. You know, you have, when I turn on the charm, man, it's. You'll know <laughs> when true. I'm that's flirting. Oh, you'll know when I'm flirting. <laughs> I have a big red sign that goes beep, beep, beep behind me. We're going to have a lap Yeah, lap So let me, let me, let me, uh, yeah, let me, uh, uh, okay. So Mm -hmm. over the course of asking these various guests, the questions that feed upon the book that are like, oh, this is, this is the chapter I want to tackle. Or have you found that you have altered the course of the book to either accommodate new ideas that you've been confronted with by asking questions of people who aren't you i mean you're the point of the memoir is to talk about your own sexuality but when you're talking with someone else have you have you found that the book itself has evolved or changed in a way that is is more of a reflection of the universality of of what everybody's going through as opposed to it just being about you that's a great question and one that i didn't touch on it is a memoir but it's a memoir hybrid which means Mm -hmm. that there is research. So um, a lot of people don't know, yeah, what does creative nonfiction mean? It means you're telling a story, but it is woven in with um, research. And that's a great question because I struggled actually with most of the, the two years in the MFA program trying to figure out, well, what kind of research do I want to know? Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to, all of a sudden I'm writing about a fucking hot orgy and then go, well, one in six women like orgies, like that, <laughs> right? that totally, that's a buzz killer, man. One in, yeah, it's a buzz killer. It, it has no place in that story. So then I had to, so in doing some of the interviews, I was realizing as I can, how do I organically weave these bits of information in how can Mm -hmm. i naturally uh have the story answer some of the questions like what do i even want to know um so then i had to go back and then you know i found things about uh the biology of women right like we were we are biologically predisposed to fight for the best man with the best genes because it's a reproductive impetus. Uh, do we still do that? Yes, we really do. You know, and especially in our twenties and those and those 
those ripe biological days when we're looking for a mate. We want the best one. And so, yes, there's a lot of female competition built into that. Um, it, you see it all the time. And so then I'm like, oh, that's that's fascinating, you know. And then I'm reading another book, um, you know, about like the the largest study of uh, sexual desires and fantasies. And, you know, the, this guy, Lemire, Miller, L-E-H-M-I-L-L-E-R. And he, his research revealed that the number one um, fantasy out there, whether it's been acted on or not, is group sex. I'm like, wow, that two thirds of 4,000 people said they fantasize about group sex. And so, Hmm. you know, having this um, interviewing people who are in the research and in the academic field absolutely informs and validates and justifies and, and this sounds awful, but makes the book smart. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, you know, it let's does. assume the book is going to be smart regardless, but it, it is, it is a different story than um, I did this. I lived this then, yeah. you know, 80, I am like 80% of people. And I think that's one of the more interesting facts that I, again, it comes back to that thing I said at the beginning where it would be like six or seven women walking into Lovecraft, giggling. Yep. Walk into the vibe room. Yep. Waggling dildos and laughing with each other. And then one come back in and pick, and they had earmarked it in their head. They came back for that specific thing. And then, you know, just shyly put on the counter. I'm like, let your freak flag fly, as you said. And and I have learned many times to be super, super accepting. Cause like you said, everybody has, a journey that they've that they've gotten yeah. wherever they are now they've had to live something and it's it's such an interesting thing to me that and i think it's really gratifying to know that you're tackling this because it on one hand there it's very easy to say i'm going to be honest about my life and i'm going to be honest about my sexuality it is a very different thing yeah. to publicly share that and to write about it with the intention of publishing i think that that is a it sets an uh, an impressive example for other people. Well, thank you. Um, and I and that that makes me think also though of uh, I'll just add in one other bit of research that I found. You know that um, still to this day, certain people or certain fetishes or certain kinks, you know, uh, behavior that is not considered normal. Are, are on a list of um, psychological, I'm not saying this correctly, but there there is a list out there of psychological, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You can tell it. Deviations? Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 2015, if you were going through a divorce with your partner, with your, your spouse, and you they actually discovered that you had one of these fetishes, that is grounds for them to remove your children from you. This was in the United States. And this still, this, this, I mean, that's the States where we're supposedly, um, you know, uh, uh, less conforming, but the whole world has these crazy laws and regulations 
my book's not going to get into that. I mean, because that is this really a you know um, everything from female genital mutilation to all these things that uh, are mm-hmm. happening. I really don't have the space to get into them, but suffice to say that if your body is telling you you want and need something that's it's not harming someone else, who the hell are we to say that you shouldn't want that? Yeah. And so exactly. I, I, I mean, my journey as, as a white uh, heterosexual woman, uh, yes, I'm being honest with it. And, and yes, uh, I do think it is courageous talking about it. But then I also think of all the people who, whether you are gay whether you're trans, mm-hmm. wow, to, for you to come out and say these things, you know, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I can't believe what you, what they have had to go through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what they're going through now, even. I mean, it's absolutely, it's terrifying to think of all the rights that are potentially going to be squashed. Yeah, where where things to go the a more theocratic route. In yeah. the states, but um, let's let's not dwell. That's <laughs> not. It's just heartbreaking. It's so it's yeah. so it's so strange to think that that um, all it takes is a vocal minority to mess with so many people, and it, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, and and you know to to cap that off, uh, I always come back to you know um, there was a a writer Sarah Bar. Barmack, who also talks about um, sexuality and demystifying sex, female sexuality. And she said, you know, it's someone had said to her once, oh, it's a first world problem, female sexuality. And she's like, no, it's not because it's not about sexuality. It's about our rights and and uh, our bodies. It's mm-hmm. our our energy and our life force. Sexuality makes us creative. It makes us energetic it's not frivolous. It's sacred. It is absolutely sacred. And Mm -hmm. to think that we're just talking about intercourse and that it's, you know, that I should have the chapter on decency or that that's just doing this a great disservice and you're missing the point. Yeah. Right. I don't, I mean, I never asked you to have a chapter on decency. (laughs) (laughs) I would never (laughs) be as indecent as you require. (laughs) I, you know, I, I, I really appreciate I appreciate that point of view. I think that um I think it's it's a story regardless of I don't want to, I don't I hate the idea that you might minimize the message but I, you know I think it's great that you could acknowledge your place in it and your role in it and and how regardless of where on that rainbow you may sit. Yeah. Um that it, it may help someone else. And I think that that's what we can all, we should all strive to do is, is to be helpful to others. And I, I really do believe that that's what you're doing. Mm, thank you. I hope so. Thanks for listening to the sexy times and be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the sexy times where you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to reach out to me or send me some research, send me a note at melanie.writing at gmail.com. Later, ladies.